Well, good morning, everyone here at Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. Glad to have all of you here. Glad to have those of you at Knowles uh, with us here in just a few hours. Uh, we always think and pray about you and are so glad that you are now part of us. Uh, you're very important, and we hope that we can uh, be of service to each of you. Uh, this morning, we're talking about something we're going to do after the lesson. The Lord's Supper. And yes, that is a typo, as I pointed out to Phil. We're not actually looking back at 2 Chronicles 20. We did that two weeks ago. So uh, you're seeing again how some of the sausage gets made. Apologize for that. But we're going to look at the Lord's Supper and kind of ask, what's it all about? We do it here at Lindsley Avenue each week. What are we really doing? Why are we doing it? What's the deal with this part of our gathering together, part of our worship? called the Lord's Supper. At Lindsley Avenue, our guiding principle really is, the only way I really think it's, it makes uh, sense or it's, it's possible to try to proceed as we gather together God, as God's people, is to do what we find written or talked about in the New Testament. That's what we do here. We want to do things that the early Christians did. We want to do things that Jesus said, the apostles said, and from that, of course, what God wants us to do. I don't know about things that aren't written in the New Testament. Lots of people do a lot of additional things. I don't know. We're going to try to look and say, what does the New Testament say? What does the Bible say? So what's it all about, this Lord's Supper? As I say, we want to speak where the Bible speaks and to be silent, to say, I don't know when the Bible is not talking about something. That idea goes way back. In fact, the first minister here at Lindsley Avenue when it was still the South College Street Church, David Lipscomb himself would have said the same thing. We want to speak where the Bible speaks and say, don't really know when the Bible doesn't speak about something. We talked about worship with that kind of approach a couple of weeks ago. What does the Bible say about worship? And we saw that in the New Testament, God's people got together and they prayed. God's people got together and they sang psalms and hymns to God. They uh, read from letters of the apostles or they read of the uh, things that Jesus had done. And they partook of the Lord's Supper. Uh, unfortunately, I guess for all of you, they got together and Paul preached or reasoned with them all the way till midnight. We, we try to do the same things here. Well, one part of that is the Lord's Supper, which can be something that sometimes we don't spend a lot of time on. But it can be something that if you're, we really haven't studied it, visitors may get to it and wonder, what was that all about? That's really what we're going to try to talk about. Let's go into more depth about the Lord's Supper. What's it all about? Well, the Lord's Supper, which is also called communion, same phrasing is used for this act of worship that we're all going to do together is a memorial. It is a remembrance in which Christians partake to remember Jesus's life, his death, and his resurrection, his sacrifice for us. Communion, this whole idea of communion means sharing. Uh, strangely enough, it really is the word from which communism is supposed to come from. And the goal of communism had been to share. And unfortunately, since political organizations are run by people, the ideal, which you would hope would be what 
is sought after of sharing and looking after and taking care of everybody was abused in that system to where powerful rich people got a lot, where lots of people got very little. So it's not the same thing as what we had seen as communism. It's a sharing. It's a sharing. It's a partaking. It's a merging together of all of us as collectively we think about what Jesus did for each one of us. The Lord's Supper is composed of two things. We're going to do that here in a little bit. Bread and the fruit of the vine, which is either wine or grape juice. When you look at 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the Apostle Paul, in explaining to the Corinthians when they were getting together to partake of the Lord's Supper, said the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? This cup, and granted it's going to be a very small cup, the point is not how much we guzzle down, but this portion of grape juice, which again, fruit of the vine, grapes squeezed to make the juice, it's a communion, it's a sharing together as we share back to the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for us. The bread which we break, is it not a communion of the body of Christ? Going back to what our brother Phil read for us. That's what we are going to do here at Lindsley Avenue in a few minutes. We will bless the bread, we will bless the cup, and we will remember back to the reason we are here, which is that God sent Jesus and he lived his life perfectly, which I have not done. I don't think any of us have done. And he died in my place, in your place, so that our sins could be forgiven and we have the hope of going home to live with God. That should be the focus when we do this here in just a few minutes. Let's talk about bread and then fruit of the vine. As Phil was reading a few moments ago from Matthew 26, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission, for the forgiveness of sins. So he said, Take, eat, this is my body. Right? He took bread, blessed it, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. This bread that we're talking about looked like a tortilla because they didn't have wonder bread. They didn't have sunbeam. What they were eating at the time was for tortilla. And so they would take it, tear off a piece of it, and usually they would have, you might, we might see this most often if you eat at a Mexican restaurant, right? You have some kind of dip or something in a big pot, and they would slide that tortilla in and eat it. And by the way, it means I'm having lunch before any of you are. <laughs> the tortilla is made in the same way today that it was made back in the first century. Probably this is closest to what Jesus and the apostles were eating. It's bread that's made unleavened bread, meaning it doesn't have any yeast in it. It doesn't have any agents that cause the bread to rise, baking powder, if that's what it is, I don't know. If it's not in a mix out of the box, I don't make it. But it was made without any of that in it. And that's 
Not quite the same thing that regular crackers are. If you go get Keebler crackers, they are not made the same way. They have baking powder or whatever in it. And it's, even though they look flat, and even though what we're going to eat here in a few minutes looks like a tiny fraction of a cracker, it's not the same thing that you would make peanut butter and crackers out of. So our tortilla is probably the easiest thing if you needed I mean, to, to do this when you're homesick or you wanted to do this when you're traveling. When people were at home many times because of COVID, that was the suggestion that got made is, you go to a grocery store and you buy a small little pack of tortillas, that is unleavened bread, which is what they were eating, right? Most of us for sandwiches, our bread's got a lot of puffy holes in it, right? I think many times the loaf of bread has more air in it than bread. That's not the same kind of bread that they were eating. Again, they would have a tortilla-like thing, tear off a little chunk of it, dip it in something and eat it. So Jesus took probably what looked like a tortilla, broke a piece off and said, every one of you take a piece of this. This is my body, which is sacrificed for you. This is my body, which is going to be offered in your place. For the fruit of the vine, this wine or grape juice, the cup which they were drinking from almost certainly had was wine itself, had alcohol. It is possible to squeeze grapes if you put them in a very dark container and throw it in the middle of a pond where it's cold at the bottom, that you can keep it from fermenting. That is a hard thing to do in a desert environment. I really want to do this sometime, but I have been told by people that I suspect would know that if you take orange juice or grape juice, squeeze a bunch of it into a glass and put it outside in the sun and leave it for about eight hours on a hot day, it is not going to be grape juice when you go to drink it later in the day. It starts getting very active. Now, if you take Welch's, which has been treated, it'll just be very hot Welch's grape juice. They didn't have Welch's grape juice. So I am very, very confident that unless they had just squeezed some grapes moments before they sat down, it almost certainly would have been wine, but wine comes from grapes, grape juice comes from grapes. To avoid alcohol problems, most churches today, many churches today, use grape juice. The last thing you want to do is if someone, and I'm not identifying names, I know it's not, you just happen to be sitting closest to me, and by the way, you know I love you. If somebody was having problems with alcohol, why do I want to give you some wine that might hurt you, that might make you fall off the wagon, right? Grape juice is why, that's the reason most congregations will use grape juice. Some out in the country don't. When I traveled to Greece, I knew it was not going to be Welch's grape juice, so I need to confess I was a bit evil. The church leader I was traveling with did not know, and I did, so I, right, real quick, I didn't tell him. You should have seen his face as he just threw it back and was like, <laughs> it was actual wine, right? I knew he wasn't having trouble with alcohol, so I wasn't, so you understand what I mean? It's stuff that's squeezed from grapes. We're going to have grape juice. If some congregation had wine, okay, but we err on the side of caution because, again, I don't want to have it give anybody a problem if you might be tempted to have a problem by having that. We do exactly the same thing here. We use bread. Granted, it looks like a little hunk of a cracker that has not had any yeast or rising agents in it. 
And when you use fruit of the vine, grape juice, when we partake of the same things that they did, not only here when Jesus is doing it, but in the New Testament. The most important part of the Lord's Supper is really not, however, what you're partaking of, although I suggest it really needs to be these things. That's what Jesus said to use. But what happens in the heart of the person who's partaking. The Bible indicates that Christians gathered together and partook of the Lord's Supper as a group function. It's important what happens in my heart to me when we're doing this. It's important what happens in your heart when you're doing this. But we do it together. We have, I think, unfortunately, over time, we'll probably show up on the slide, we have focused so much on that vertical sharing, the sharing that I have thankfulness to God for what Jesus did, that vertical aspect of the Lord's Supper, which is very important, right? That we have forgotten the horizontal communal aspect of all of us doing this together. There's a vertical aspect of partaking of the Lord's Supper, which is really important, but there's also this horizontal sharing. It's come to where in a big crowd, if you've got a big crowd of people doing it, people are taking the Lord's Supper and they want to just look kind of at the floor in front of them. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want anybody to make eye contact with anybody. So I look down until I hear the next step, right? That's not, I don't believe, what people did. There's that vertical thing. I want to think about, thank you, God, for what you did for me. I don't deserve it. Thank you for loving me. There's that aspect. But there's also the aspect of brother and sister, which is so critical. We're sharing together this vertical share. And so I've encouraged people, it's okay if you want, look around and make some eye contact. I don't think we get up and high five people or any of that kind of thing, but look and not. Yeah, you're my brother. You're my sister. We're in this together because we are family. So if you make eye contact with somebody today, it's kind of tough when you're all looking this direction. You know, you turn around and make eye contact that way. It's not a problem. But we're doing this together as a family. I don't think that's emphasized as much as it ought to be. How did they do it in the New Testament? Again, that's what we try to do. What did they do? We want to do the same thing. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, we read on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread. The phrasing in the original is the point that this is the reason they got together. And breaking bread is the phrasing that's used to represent partaking of the Lord's Supper. They didn't get together for bingo night and then decide, oh, well, we'll take the Lord's Supper too because we're here for bingo night. They got together because this is what we do when we are together. We are gathered together. We often think to hear a sermon. That's not the reason we should be here. We sometimes think we get together to work to sing. That's not the reason. I want us to sing. The early Christians sang. The early Christians had a sermon. The early Christians had prayers. They had readings. The reason we are here is to remember what Jesus did for us. And that's why the Lord's Supper really ought to be a focal point of why we get together. The we here are Christians who have gathered together for the purpose 
of breaking bread, the Lord's Supper. We do the same thing here. Now there are people gathered together to worship God today who won't do this today. They won't partake of the Lord's Supper today. I don't know why that would be that way. They may do it quarterly or <coughs> once or twice a year. I don't know what to do with that. I know that when they got together, and they got together on the first day of the week, and each week has a first day of the week, that's what they did. So we do the same thing here. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says, The Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it for it. Language here can be terrible. It's like I tore the tortilla a minute ago. He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me, in my memory. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, what happens? We proclaim to the world the Lord's death until he comes. We can proclaim that by shouting on the street corners until the police come. We can proclaim that by talking to people, by getting together in a class, but we tell the world, more importantly perhaps, each other, Jesus has died for all of us when we do this. And we do that every week. We tell the world and each other, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So when did they gather together and partake of the Lord's Supper? They did it, as we read a moment ago, on the first day of the week. That is the only example in the entire New Testament. Each week has a first day, they do it on a Sunday. Now, you know, it's always humorous to me. Another thing we'll do after the Lord's Supper is the collection, contribution. It's not part of the Lord's Supper, but typically it's done usually at the same time. Churches that don't do the Lord's Supper, don't partake of that, offer it every Sunday, take up a collection every week. That seems really important. After all, right, every, every Sunday, every, every week has the first day of the week for a Sunday and they take the collection, but they don't do the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. The language is the same for a collection as it is for the Lord's Supper. So if you do one, it sure makes sense to follow the example we have in the New Testament. Try to do that on the first day of the week as well. When Jesus told his disciples to remember him by doing this, he took each item and gave thanks to God, and then they partook of it. As we read here, Matthew 26, again, right, it's an important passage. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, he blessed it, he gave thanks for it, break it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks, and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we will have a prayer before we pass out the bread or partake of the bread. And we will give thanks for the bread and thanks for what Jesus did for us. We then we'll have a prayer for the cup before we partake of it, giving thanks for representing Jesus' blood. We do the same thing here that they did then. That's what we're trying to do. Now, by the way, in the King James, if you read that, it says, drink ye all of it. I had a youth minister, older than me at the time, who said, when he was growing up, he was terrified there was going to be some remnant of the juice left in the cup. He said, Jesus said, drink it all. So he was desperately trying to get that cup as clean as it had been when it was first made. 
there's a danger sometimes in using a translation that has aged. Putting God's word into the language we use is really important. Jesus is not saying, clean out every molecule of the fruit of the vine out of the cup, all of you. He's saying, all of you need to drink from this. All of you need to partake of this fruit of the vine. All of you need to drink it and remember how it represents the blood of Jesus and what that means for us. There is a caution associated with the Lord's Supper also in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, as we read a moment ago, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, because proclaiming the Lord's death is an important thing. It's a serious thing. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Since we're proclaiming the Lord's death, if we do this in an unworthy manner, bad thing can happen. But what does that mean? Well, first of all, realize none of us, none of us are in any worthy position where we have earned the right to do this, or because we've behaved well this week, we are allowed to do it. That's not what it means. This idea of unworthy means if we approach this partaking, sharing communion in an unserious manner, then we're proclaiming the Lord's death and taking it very lightly. Oh, yeah, 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 more supper time, text. Oh, cup, drink that. Oh, look at the score. Am I focusing, if I'm doing that kind of thing, on what Jesus did for me? I'm not taking that seriously at all. That's the point of it. If you partake of this, if you share in this, and you're not serious about it, you're not remembering what Jesus did for us, you're not sharing that with everyone, then Paul says you are guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. You have dismissed the seriousness of what Jesus did, and that's the most serious thing the world's ever seen. We need to understand what we are doing and why, which is one reason I'm repeating this idea from a year and a half or so ago when we last talked about it. Don't approach it without a focus on what we're doing. Why? Because the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a communion of the blood of Christ? Yes, it is. And if I approach the communion, the sharing with the blood of Christ in an unserious manner, not paying attention, that's a bad thing. The bread which we break, is it not a communion, a sharing with the body of Jesus which was offered in my place? Yes, it is. When we do this, we are joining ourselves. We are joining ourselves to that event, to that sacrifice, individually and collectively. His sacrifice that was made on our behalf. Take that lightly. <clears throat> Don't pay attention to what we're doing. And Paul says, condemnation from God, which I do not want, is very close, very nearby. Why do this? Why do we do this? There are several reasons in the New Testament. If we look at 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 27, he says, Therefore, the, same, the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in my memory or remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant of my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Why do we do it? Reason number one is to remember what Jesus did for each one of us. 
If you want a list of reasons of why we do this, why Lindsley Avenue does this, we do this because we need to remember. We are told to remember what Jesus did for each one of us. Second reason, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Each week when we do this, we're saying to the world, we're saying to our neighbors, we're saying to each other, anyone else who might see, that we remember Jesus, what he did, and we're telling the world he's coming back. He's coming back. So number two reason, number two reason here, to proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. In the third place, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Communion means sharing, participating together. We share our hearts and minds with God when we do this through the Lord's Supper. We also commune with each other. We should when we do this. We are one body with many memories. We are one family. Why do we do this? To commune with Jesus and with each other. In every verse that we've been looking at, the group of people being addressed are Christians. They are members of God's family. Believers who have turned their lives from wrong to right and been immersed to be forgiven. The only examples we have of people who are partaking of this are Christians, are people who are members of God's family. Those are the ones who in the New Testament are partaking of the Lord's Supper. After all, someone who is not a Christian, someone who has not responded to the good news, the gospel, the message of Jesus' death and what it means for each of us, someone who has not really believed that Jesus was real or that he, he lived and died for me, someone who is not making any effort to repent and turn away from living for themselves and living for God, and someone who has not been immersed in order to have your sins forgiven, what does the death of Jesus mean to someone who's not a member of God's family? You, you're saying by a lack of response to what Jesus did that you don't really believe that Jesus lived and died and that he died for you. If you believe he died for you and you're not a member of God's family, let's have a talk. Because if you believe that Jesus lived and died for you, we need to talk about what response God expects from you. But if you don't believe in any of that, then doing this is, is just having a snack. And that's not the reason we do this. If you want a snack, we had donuts before, right? That's not why we're going to do this. So some try to enforce this. It's as if they check member ID cards at the church door. Uh, okay, yeah, you can sit over here. You can have the Lord's Supper. We don't do that. We offer it to everyone, but I want to encourage you. If you're not a member of God's family, how about we take care of that? How about we get you into a relationship with God where this means something to you? That's the important aspect of it. So what about other things? As I mentioned, some groups might take the Lord's Supper once a quarter or annually. All we can really say is, is that in the New Testament, which is the only way we know anything about what God wants, what Jesus wants, what the apostles said, and how to approach God, they partook of this every week. Early Christians did it that way too. So why would you go and change things? We do, try to do, what we read in the New Testament. So I don't really know about 
other changes to try to do it quarterly or annually or special events. That's our guiding principle. We want to do what the Bible says to do, and that's why we do it every week. One religious group only gives bread to people who come for worship. People will come down to the front and an individual will place a piece of bread on their tongue. They don't share the cup. Is that okay? In the New Testament, Paul said the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a communing with the blood of Jesus? The bread which we break and bless, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Yes. So why would you only give the bread? I asked an individual who was in that religious organization, I said, why is it you only do the bread? Could you not share the, the cup as well? So, Absolutely, that's okay if somebody wants to. What? what? What do you mean if somebody wants to? I mean, Paul said this. Why? I wanted to say, why on earth would you change what the Apostle Paul said? If the Apostle Paul had said, give the bread and if you want the cup, okay. Whatever they're doing, and I love this man, but whatever he's doing is not what we see in the Bible. And so I don't know about that. But all I can say is, here's what the Bible says. Am I going to hell? You love those kind of questions. Somebody will ask you. Am I going to hell if I took communion, Lord's Supper once, and I wasn't paying attention? Just as it came out, I got a text from that girl, and she said, yes, I want to go out Friday. And inside I'm going, woohoo! No. You're not going to hell if you did not pay attention once. It was bad. You need to turn and tune out all other aspects of things because I suspect all of us have had some time or other where our minds were not focused on what we should have been doing. If we're all, I'm willing to raise my hand. If we're all honest, I suspect every hand in here is going to go up one time or another. It's a serious thing. And it requires us being serious about it. If I've done this routinely, I need to make sure I don't do it routinely. Is it really Jesus' literal body and blood? Some religious neighbors will tell you that there's a transformation of this little chunk of, of bread or cracker looking thing. And it becomes the actual literal body of Jesus. It's called transubstantiation. Well... We do read in Matthew 26, as we've read many times already, Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body. But when you think about it, right? When, I'll go back, I'll read that next one in a second. When Jesus is saying that, his body's actually reclining at the table. You know, he's, he's laying on one arm, probably they weren't sitting at a table with chairs like Da Vinci painted. So he's laying, reclining next to the table, and it's not like a portion of his body detached itself. He didn't take part of his shoulder and pass it around. It was a piece of bread. And so his body's still exactly here. And as everybody was eating it, it wasn't like a part of Jesus' physical body disappeared. So he had to have not meant it somehow physically, literally, when he said it. Because his body's still leaning against the table. Right? So he does say this here, but when he reads it, when we read in 1 Corinthians 11, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup... You proclaim the body, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of Jesus. So when you look, right, 
Jesus spoke, his body was on the chair, not in a plate on the table. But then why would not Paul and Jesus say, as often as you eat the body of the Lord? Look at what Paul said. As long as you eat the bread. If Paul wanted to get across the idea that it's the body of Jesus that we're eating, Paul could have phrased it potentially better. As long as you eat this body of the Lord, then you proclaim the Lord's death. Paul said bread. Paul had an opportunity here to specifically confirm if it's physically the body of Jesus. So then maybe there's some ambiguity there, right? Maybe there's one way or the other. I don't really express an opinion one way or the other. I don't, I don't suspect it's really the body of Jesus, the physical body of Jesus. Christians were accused of cannibalism in the second century because people thought they were eating their God was the criticism. The point of this is not to digest something that becomes a portion of the flesh of Jesus. The point is to remember Jesus and proclaim his death and what it means for us. So I really lean on the side of no. If I come down to it. If somebody thinks otherwise, are they going to hell? I don't read that that's the case. But I don't think that's the emphasis. The emphasis is not to have the medicine of immortality by eating Jesus' flesh. But Jesus said in John 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, people said, what? Are you going to give us his flesh to eat? The answer to that was no. But if you take the view that the Lord's Supper becomes the body and blood of Jesus, the answer would be not yet. Because he's going to in a few years, right? That doesn't seem to make any sense to me. Why does God want me to do this? We've answered that question, but it's really, I don't really know except that he wants us to remember what Jesus did for us. I don't know about you, but I'm a pretty forgetful person. I get involved in things of the day. I get involved in the things of the week. By doing this, every time we are together, it's a time to, as I said, recharge our batteries, to get our focus, our priority back in order. And remember, the only reason I have any hope at all is because of what we're going to do in a few minutes, remembering what he did for me. So that's what the Bible says about the Lord's Supper. It's to remember Jesus' death for us. It was done weekly, bread and the fruit of the vine. It's meant, really meant for members of God's family. And if you're not a member of God's family, that's an easy thing to change. An easy thing to change. And that's what we try to do and say here at Lindsley Avenue. It is. I wish everybody would do the things that we see in the Bible. The important focus right now, however, as I've said, is if you are not a member of God's family, Jesus himself said, Unless you believe that I am, that God sent me, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. In Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, I tell you, except you repent, you will all perish in the same way, unless you change your lives from wrong to right. And then in Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Jesus said it, just do it. Become a member of God's family today as we stand and sing.